Good morning, everybody. My name's, uh, my name's Rich. If there are any of you watching online that I haven't met, I think I've met all of you here in the room. Uh, and we like to begin our services with this greeting Christians have been using for a long, long time now. The Lord be with you. Thank you. That's something that we believe, that, that God makes his presence known to us when we gather together to worship him. And it's our prayer that today, uh, that all of us will be aware of his presence with us. Uh, whether we're here in the room, whether we're connecting online, uh, that right where we are, right where we live, that we'll have a sense that the God of the universe knows us and is with us. Uh, so let's bow our heads for a moment and let's pray to him as we begin. Thank you, God. Thank you for meeting us here. Thank you that in the midst of all the craziness of life, all the ups and the downs and the in-betweens and the, and the times we wish we could do over, that, uh, God, you are right there with us. You're right here with us right now. God, help us to, um, to be able to bring all that we are into this time with you and with each other. Uh, that these things wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be distractions for us, but they, they also wouldn't, you know, we're not trying to just leave those things behind, God. Instead, we bring all of this to you, all of our anxieties, all of our frustrations, all of our, all of our failures, all our successes, our joys, and our sorrows. God, we bring all of it to this time with you because it's all a part of who we are. So God, help us to be honest with you and with ourselves. Help us to reach out to you with thanks and praise and with questions and doubts, uh, whether it's a, a cry of joy or a cry for help, God, we want to connect with you. So help us today, God, in the songs that we sing, in the prayers we pray, in the scriptures we read, and as we gather around the table of our Lord Jesus, that, that everything we do during this next hour can be uh, helping us to connect with you, the God who made us and loves us and is here. We thank you, God, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're thankful to have Matt Blonick with us again today to lead us musically. If you're interested in Abel, let's stand and let's sing. All right. Thanks, Rich. All right. So I'm excited to worship with you this morning. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be here. And then as we sing this first song, I know we just kind of went through it a little bit, but the heart of it is just kind of this idea that God is both the Lion of Judah, that he's powerful, that he's conquered death and the grave, and that he is also this lamb who had laid down his life um, on our behalf. So he came humbly, and especially as we're in this season of Advent, knowing that he came um, as a baby and just, uh, again, lived his life on this earth, fully God, but also fully man. And so um, we're able to worship him and just come humbly at his throne this morning. So I encourage you to sing this song as you catch on and uh, worship God for um, who he is. Yeah. 
Open up the gates. So open up the gates. Make way before the King of Kings. God who comes to save, see to set the captives free. Who can stop the Lord? Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness blessed be your name every blessing every blessing you pour out I turn back to praise 
When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your Your great name, the 
enemy He has to
From Psalm 85, Lord, you've poured out your blessings on your land. You restored the fortunes of Israel and forgave the guilt of your people. Yes, you've covered all their sins. You held back your fury and you kept back your blazing anger. Now restore us again, O God of our salvation. Put aside your anger against us once more. Will you be angry with us always? Will you prolong your wrath to all generations? Won't you revive us again so your people can rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Please join me in prayer. Father, we rejoice in you this morning. Lord, in this Sunday of peace in our Advent calendar, we look around us and there's so many places where there is no peace. In our world, oh Lord, in our world, it's so hard to find. In our own country, in our own communities, sometimes, Lord, even in our own homes, there is no peace. And yet, Lord, you have come to give us that peace, to be that peace for us. What a mighty, awesome thing that is. That the peace that comes from you doesn't depend on our circumstances. It doesn't depend on what's going on around us. We have that peace because you are who you are. Thank you, Father, for being that God. That God who goes to battle for us as a lion, Lord. But also that God that is a lamb who gave himself sacrificially for us. So that we could have peace with you and peace with each other. Father, what, a, what a, a, a wonderful reminder this morning in this Advent season. Thank you, Lord, for each of your blessings. For this week as we look to the things that are, that are going on as we anticipate the celebration of your birth. So many great things are happening. So many wonderful preparations are going on. And Lord, we're thankful for those. But Lord, help us also to be mindful of the folks that this is a really hard time for them. Maybe it's a first Christmas without someone. Maybe it's another Christmas without someone. Maybe it's just a hard time in their lives, Lord. You know each circumstance, you know each struggle, we pray for your peace. Be with us this morning, Lord, as we come before you in the word, as we continue our worship of you, as we hear from you through Pastor Rich. We thank you for him and for his ministry to us on your behalf. And for all these things that we pray and we ask you for, Lord, we do so in your name, giving you thanks and glory. Amen and amen. And now the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. Take a few moments, if you will, and pass the peace amongst yourselves.
Uh, just a quick word to those of you watching us online. We are glad you're with us, and uh, hopefully you will leave us a comment or something. Let us know that you're with us today, and maybe uh, if, you, if there's someone we could pray for you or something, you could jot us a, uh, a private note at livinghope.info slash connect. That's one way you can communicate with us, and uh, something all of us in the room can do too, obviously. Uh, if there's some way we can be praying for you or thanking God with you, or uh, those of you here, you can just grab one of those little green cards back there on the table, jot your note there, and drop it in the offering box. And if you're giving today, you can drop that in there as well, or you can give online. I want to say thanks again to those of you who give so generously uh, week in and week out, or month in and month out, or whatever your routine is, uh, to support the work of God here in this church and throughout the world uh, through the Church of the Nazarene that we're a part of. Um, I did want to give you just a quick update. Since some of you, uh, you have end of year stuff happening, maybe you get a bonus, maybe you have something like that, maybe you're doing your tax planning, I don't know. If, uh, if those of you who are sitting on extra money and trying to think, which, which nonprofits, which good works in the community are we wanting to support, uh, we would love to be a part of that. Um, looking, at the, uh, looking at the numbers, the church boards noticed that this year we're running something like fifteen dollars or $20,000 less than we were last year around this time. Um, for the year, and um, fortunately, we've got that money in the bank. We're not like, uh, like, sorry, doors closed, no church. We, you know, we're not close to running out of money yet. But, uh, but it's never, it's never a fun thing to be uh, running a deficit, as some of you know from uh, having done that in your own households at some time. So, if uh, if that's not you, if you're running a surplus these days and you're looking for things to support, uh, and you want to throw some extra money toward the the work being done here at the church, that'd be a good thing. All right. Um, on the back, you can see, uh, oh, sorry, I've got a little note here saying Scott Van Blerkum says thanks for your prayers. So uh, Scott had shoulder surgery uh, this last week and is very grateful to be recovering and uh, just thanks everybody uh, for your prayers for him. So if you, uh, if you see him in the big sling, that's why. Uh, he is still recovering, so he would still appreciate your prayers. Um, some different ways that you guys are generous. I see on the back there we've got the warm a home tree, that, that big white tree out in the lobby. If you grab one of those little uh, cards and envelope on there, I just saw one of you bringing one in today and putting it in the offering box. That that's just goes to First Contact to help them uh, keep people's homes warm or keep people's rent paid or those sorts of things through the winter. People who maybe don't have a church that they're part of and uh, they're looking for help. Uh, if you want to help some of your neighbors stay warm this winter, you can do that. Uh, you've also got a little note there about Habitat. We're still... Um, working on the house there in South Haven. And so if you would like to donate toward that, uh, by the end of the year, it'd be a perfect time to, to make a donation specifically to Habitat, uh, the Habitat Fund, so we can get that house finished off. And then uh, we are going to have our Christmas Eve service here. Um, Christmas Eve is a Sunday this year, so Sunday morning we're just going to do our 10 o'clock service instead of 9 and 10.30. We're just going to smash you into one, all right? So one service, 10 o'clock that morning, and it'll be kind of a family service. Uh, older kids will be in here with us, uh, younger, like nursery, toddler you know, infants will still have uh, nursery stuff going on. But, um, but yeah, that morning, uh, we'll have a combined morning service. And then that night, 5 o'clock, candlelight service. And, and there's no nursery or anything for that service. It's just a fun service of Christmas carols and the Christmas story. And, and we celebrate communion together at the end and light the candles. And, and uh, you know, the kids, kids love that kind of stuff. So, uh, <clears throat> so that's, everybody's involved with that. And if you want to make cookies and donate them for that, if you can have them here at least by that morning, if not sooner, uh, but if you wanted to bring them that morning, then that afternoon we're going to box them all up so that when we leave our Christmas Eve service, we can take a little Christmas cheer to people who need it. Uh, so that's, that's all happening Christmas Eve. And um, I know uh, in, in her prayer, Pastor Judy mentioned um, that, you know, some, for some folks, this is a, a rough time of year. You know, whether it's just the seasonal affective stuff that, that hits so many folks or whether it is something to do with, you know, missing a family member and uh, having holidays that, that hit very differently when that person's not here. Uh, if grief is something that you're really dealing with this time of year, um, maybe come out on Wednesday nights. 
uh, because I know that last, especially that last Wednesday night before Christmas, uh, we always give a little more time to um, um, kind of working through some of that grief, <laughs> bringing that out before each other and before God and giving God a chance to, um, to comfort us in that. Um, so if you'd like, Wednesday nights, it's, open, it's always open to anybody. Wednesday's at 6. We've got a little you know, group in here uh, that meets. Of, uh, some nights it's 6 people, some nights it's 26 people. And uh, we'd be happy to have you with us, uh, especially if that's something you're dealing with and you just need to be around some, some other folks uh, this time of year. So, All right. Um, <clears throat> I just want to remind you, as we're making our way through Revelation, that's, that's also another reason to come Wednesday night. You get to ask all those questions you might not get to ask Sunday morning. Uh, although, if you've really got one, you could always wave, wave me down mid-service, and, and uh, we can see if we can answer it. But uh, as we're making our way through the last book of the Bible this month, the book of Revelation, um, you know, some of it's weird. Some of it is a little more straightforward. And Although, honestly, even in the straightforward parts, there's weirdness, isn't there? You know, last week, we were looking at this, the first three chapters and how Jesus shows up to these people who are struggling. Uh, if you are struggling, if you find, if you feel like, man, the world is, the world, I'm not on top of the world, the world's on top of me. If you're feeling that way, this book was written to people in that kind of circumstance, right? It was written to these seven small churches in this big Roman empire where, um, in some ways, Rome was a fairly tolerant kind of an empire. <laughs> if you got to be ruled by somebody, at least they let you kind of keep worshiping your gods and that kind of thing. They didn't demand that you just worship theirs, but on top of all of that, on top of you getting to continue your little religion and your little local customs, they expected you to also honor Rome and Rome's emperor. And by this time in Rome's history, uh, Rome's leaders are starting to be um, not just held up as like, hey, isn't that, isn't that Caesar great? Aren't we glad he's in charge? But like, wow, he is a gift from God. And the one who gives God's gifts to us, he is the peacemaker, the prince of peace. He is the, he is the son of God. They're starting to use divine language about the emperors by this time. Um, that's one reason, uh, what is it, Caesar Augustus, right, that appears in the Christmas story. Um, the fact that he is august is like he is lifted up. He is highly exalted and is the one that is, um, you know, he's going to be on the cover. He's going to be Time's uh, person of the year every year as long as he's in charge, right? <laughs> and, um, and beyond that, in these seven cities where uh, this letter is being sent to, these cities who are, are not, they're not like right by Rome. This is kind of like us, you know, Washington, D.C. is kind of far away for us, right? I mean, you can get there still if you want to drive a day, uh, if you want to hop on a plane or something like that, but it's not like right next door. Um, but they went out of their way to try to honor Rome and to honor the emperor. I mean, they're setting up temples uh, to worship the emperor in these cities. Uh, the places where these little churches are, uh, they're starting to feel that pressure that says, you know, yeah, sure, Rome has let you worship whoever you want to, but you also have to worship the emperor. You also have to bow down to his image. You also have to go and offer uh, incense or sacrifices in his temple. And they were kind of trying to outdo each other. Like, you know, um, <clears throat> I was trying to think of a, of a good analogy, but none of the ones I'm coming up with are good ones. They're, they're all trying to show that they're the ones who love Rome most. And, uh, and so they're, you know, if maybe you've known somebody like this um, you know, like in their enthusiasm for their sports team or for a political figure or something like that, right? Uh, it's not enough that they fly one flag, they got to fly 12 flags, you know. Uh, it's not enough that they just, you know, that they really love that person or that team. They got to let you know it all over. You know, every, every holiday is festooned in that. And um, that's kind of like where they were living these days, these cities. Uh, it was all, there was, there was a growing amount of uh, trying to show Rome that you were loyal, trying to show Rome that you loved the, loved the emperor, and these little churches are hearing, well, sure, yeah, Rome's fine and all, but 
the story that they're coming to believe is that this, this man in this corner of the empire uh, called Israel, that he lived and he died and he rose again, and that he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And somehow this one who died on a Roman cross and was executed by the Romans is in fact the king of the universe, and that we can't bow down to you, Caesar, because we bow down to him. And it's a weird place for them to find themselves in, and they're kind of wondering, you know, is... Rome, the eternal kingdom that they claims to be, that was one of, the, one of the terms that was being used about it, that they had finally brought about the end of days, the, the end of all war, the end of, you know, they were the, the kingdom that was going to last forever, uh, was Rome's kingdom. And these Christians are wondering, is that true? You know, did the people who have the biggest sword or the biggest army, are they really the ones that are going to just rule the world? And some of us find ourselves wondering that kind of thing, right? Uh, does might make right? Does the, does the person with the biggest, uh, the biggest weapon or the biggest bank account or, or the biggest um, influence in our society, are they the ones that are in charge? Are they the ones uh, that get to decide uh, things for all the rest of us? How, how does this work? And uh, Jesus shows up in the midst of them. This fantastic vision that we saw in chapter one. Jesus with like the, the glowing, burning eyes and the glowing hair and, and all the rest, this kind of majestic, heavenly vision of Jesus standing in the midst of these lampstands. And we're told like, oh, these lampstands are the seven churches that you're writing to. And we see right away that like, oh, this is going to be a, a different kind of book. We, we talked last week a little bit about that. Watch that little video from the Bible Project, right? Saying this apocalyptic literature that uses images, uses symbols, uh, uses uh, numbers, <laughs> play a special role. There's, we're going to see uh, seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls. We've got seven churches. We've, um, there are seven times in the book that people are said to be blessed. Uh, there's all these, all these numbers that keep popping up again and again and again. So there's special numbers and special symbols all trying to help us kind of pull back the curtain and picture life differently to see what God is up to behind the scenes. That's what apocalypse means, an unveiling, a revelation. And so these churches, are, they're trying to help them see, look, Jesus is with you, right? In the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of what you're facing, Jesus is with you. And so we had those letters. Did any of you do your homework? Any of you read uh, chapters 2 and 3? Read that. I'm seeing a couple of you saying, oh, yeah, we, we did our homework. If you're here Wednesday night, we just read it all together. See, that's, you can do your homework in class if you like. Uh, <clears throat> you know, you can read these letters to these seven churches, and they were all different, right? Uh, Jesus had something different to say to each of them because they were different churches going through different things. Some he had lots of good things to say. Some he had basically nothing good to say. <laughs> some he had lots of words of challenge and critique. Others he had almost nothing to critique, just encouragement. But to all of them, he held out at the, at the end of each one of those letters is some kind of a statement about like rewards that will come to those who, who overcome, to those who persevere, to those who share in the victory that Jesus shared in, in his own victory, that we can share in that. Jesus, who, who is victorious over evil by suffering death, by being faithful to God all the way to death, uh, on the other side of that received life. And he promises the same to those who will be faithful so there's those, those, those seven letters, and then the really weird vision started, okay? So here we are in chapters 4 and 5 today. Um, it says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And just so you know, I'm just going to read all of chapters 4 and 5, and then we're going to go back and talk about it. Because it's so strange and so unusual, I want you just to kind of try to picture the scene that's being described, okay? 
There's a throne, someone sitting on it. The one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Then I saw in the right hand of him who, sits, who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, hey, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God set out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is an amazing image, this vision that John has of this heavenly throne room and the worship that takes place and some pretty fantastical stuff. Okay, so let's, let's walk through some of it and see... Uh, See what we can pick up uh, from what he's putting down. All right, so he's, uh, he's called up to heaven, to this heavenly vision. And uh, while, while it says, like, hey, let me show you what must take place after this, the, the language that's used in apocalyptic literature, it's, 
this probably isn't him saying like, hey, this is something that's going to happen in the future. It's kind of like he's just seeing the curtains pull back to see what's going on in heaven now. What's, what's happening? Right now there is worship going on. Right now as we're sitting here today, as we, as we sang to God earlier, we were joining our voices to songs being sung in the heavenly throne room. Uh, as we prayed, you remember it said they had, they had golden bowls full of incense, the prayers of God's people. Our prayers rise up to God, are presented before God as like a, a sweet-smelling incense in, in the temple, in God's throne room. Uh, we're not one of those churches where I walk in, you know, swinging the, the big thing full of the, full of the incense and all of that. You know, there are churches that do that. Their pastor's all robed up and, you know, walks in and there's bells and smells and it's, it's all kinds of fun. Uh, and the reason they do that in part is, is because of this. Right? It's because this is our prayers rise up to God like the sweet-smelling aroma. And so we, we participate in some way in this worship that takes place around God's throne. And, uh, and the image, you know, it's like, what on earth does it mean? The person who sat there is never really described other than having a, the appearance of jasper and rubies, like precious stones. Okay. Uh, there's some kind of a rainbow that's shown like an emerald encircling the throne. I don't know what that looks like exactly, you know. I think the, the CGI folks that make movies could probably approximate something. But, uh, you know, there's some kind of a fantastic, you know, light that's encircling the throne. And then 24 other thrones, 24 elders who worship, who lay down their crowns. Uh, that 24 number is often thought to be, okay, it's like the 12, it's like the the, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, it's like all of God's people kind of represented by, by their leaders, by their representatives here around the throne. So we've kind of got all of God's people represented there. And then we've got kind of all of creation represented by these four living creatures. We don't know what to make of them. If you read Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel had a similar kind of vision. And there were these four living creatures. But in Ezekiel's vision, each of them had like four faces you know, and there was like a human face and a lion face and an ox face and an eagle face. And they also had wings and eyes and all this crazy image um, of these you know, spiritual beings. And different times, if you've ever seen uh, some people uh, in church history have taken those four living creatures and, and used them to represent Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel writers. And, you know, one of them will have a, be like a human, one will have an ox, one will be a lion, one will be a, an eagle. Uh, kind of represented those, those four witnesses to, to the life of Jesus. Uh, many people today, many Bible scholars say it's probably uh, kind of representing all of creation, all of the different kind of aspects of creation, the, the pinnacle of, you know, humanity and the, the strongest of the beasts of burden and the strongest of the wild animals and the, you know, the kind of king of the air or whatever with the, with the eagle. Um, but day and night, they are worshiping. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is, language has been used of God in the past, like in Isaiah's vision and other places. Um, this is worshiping God. It's like you are holy, you are eternal, and we worship you just because of that, you know. So there's recognition that God is just worthy of worship, of adoration. And then the 24 elders lay their crowns down. Um, I was listening to a podcast this week, and when they got to that point, he said, oh, that'd be a nice, nice band name, uh, uh, Casting Crowns uh, Band. Gets their name from this. Um, lots, of, lots of stuff in kind of Christian circles draws from the images here, which are drawn from all over, all over Scripture. But, you know, they're, they're recognizing our authority, our wealth, our power, all of it comes from you. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things. By your will, they were created and have their being. So the one who sits on the throne, God Almighty, he's worshipped just for being 
holy, for being eternal, for being the source of all existence, all that there is. And then there's this moment where God has a plan. God's got a scroll. God has something he wants to say, something he wants to do, but it's sealed with these seven seals, and, uh, which is how you kind of sealed your letters back then. You didn't, you know, lick and stick, you know, your envelope when you closed it up. You, you sealed it with a little wax seal, and you put your signet ring on it to show this is from you, and and so this is sealed, and, and who is worthy to open this scroll? And they can't find anyone who's worthy. And I can't even think about that without thinking about Thor and the Marvel movies and people being worthy to pick up his hammer and all this kind of thing. If, if you've not watched any of those, I apologize. Um, it's a whole theme throughout the Marvel movies from the time the first Thor movie comes on. You know, Thor is this, uh, this uh, what, Norse god or whatever, and he's got Mjolnir, this you know, hammer that lets him fly around and all the stuff that he does. And uh, in the first Thor movie, he realizes he's like this petulant child and, and becomes unworthy to pick up his own hammer. And the whole point of that first movie is him discovering what it means to be worthy, to kind of have this authority and to be able to pick up this hammer and to, to wield it, to wield this authority. And, uh, and it's a joke then throughout the rest of those movies. There's this one moment, I forget which movie it's in, uh, one of the Avengers movies where they're all trying to pick up his hammer and none of them can. And, and Captain America gets up there and it kind of budges a little bit and Thor's like nervous, like, uh-oh. And there's this great payoff then in like Avengers Endgame. But anyway, all right, sorry. The idea being there are some things that you just can't do if you're not worthy is kind of the, the idea there. And that's what's happening here. Who is worthy to open this? And no one can be found who's worthy. There's no one who can, who's found, what, what they, they, like in heaven, earth, under the, like no, they can't find anyone anywhere to open the scroll and to look inside until someone says, one of the elders, and it's, and it's causing him to weep. He's like, God has a plan and no one is present who can implement it. Um, one of the Bible scholars I was reading this last week was talking about how God had intended from the very start, from the very beginning of creation, he created this world uh, to work in this world through his representatives, those created in the image of God, human beings, you, me, right? He had intended to rule this world uh, through us, but we disobeyed him. We chose to go another route. You know, we chose not to do that, and so God couldn't do that any longer. You know, sin enters the world, and so God has to you know, try to figure out, okay, well, he doesn't just abandon that plan. He doesn't just say, well, forget human beings. I'll just run the world some other way. He says, no, that's how I created this world to, to work. And so he, he chooses Abraham and the people of Israel. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to redeem them. I'm going I'm to work through the people of Israel so that, so that once again, all of, all of human beings can be this kingdom of priests, can serve me like, like I intended them to serve, can rule like I intended them to rule, so I can rule through them. And, but Israel, too, is unfaithful and, and fails at its vocation. But through Israel, God brings us his son Jesus, who is the true Israelite, who is the true human he becomes human so that, um, so that God can still kind of continue the project. He's, he's got his project. He's got his plans for us. But we have failed, and we're not worthy to implement them until Jesus shows up. And that's, that's what the elder says. Don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And so a couple different images used there. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah was the one that uh, was described as being like a lion's cub when uh, they were all blessed way back when. Um, <clears throat> I think that's when Jacob was blessing them all. Jacob, whose name became Israel, blessing his kids. And I think describes Judah as a lion's cub. And that, that image of Judah. Judah is the one that then like the royal line comes from. David uh, is from the, the tribe of Judah. 
uh, the King David. Um, and the idea of him being the lion of the tribe of Judah is this, it's this royal image. It's this conquering image. It's a powerful image. He's the, the root of David, which is a, an image, again, pulled from the prophets. This idea that even though the, the, the Davidic kingdom had been kind of chopped off, you know, that tree had been uh, knocked down, God had promised, no, they'll still be, you know, from the, from the root of Jesse, from the root of David, there will still be someone who, who will rise to, to rule and to lead and be used by God to lead his people. And so they're saying, look, that person is here, that Messiah we've been waiting for, they, he has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. So he hears about a lion, and then what he sees is a lamb, looking like it had been killed, slaughtered, sacrificed, standing at the center of the throne. And um, just about everybody I've been reading about Revelation has pointed to that moment right there as one of the most pivotal moments in the book. Um, Because that's where it becomes really clear who Jesus is. That Jesus' triumph, his victory, um, his, the, the basis of his worthiness is in his willingness to sacrifice himself, to, to give his life. The victory doesn't look like we expect it might. Right? The victory over, um, over Rome, the victory over uh, the beastly kingdoms of this world, the victory over the great dragon, the, the devil... The, the victory doesn't look like we thought it would. The victory came by his death, by his becoming that sacrifice. The lion of the tribe of Judah, when he looks to see what does that look like? What does that victory look like? I've heard about the lion of Judah and the, the root of David. He's, he's won the victory. Okay, great. What does that look like? It looks like someone submitting, giving their life. And he is the one that we are all then called to follow. And throughout the book of Revelation, we see that it's, it's those who, uh, well, Jesus has already been described as the, the faithful and true witness. And I think I mentioned last week that word for witness is the same word that we use for martyr. He, he's the one who was willing to give his life, who stayed true to God, trusted in God, even though the powers of this world might kill him. And he promised those churches that you will, you will share in my victory. You'll be victorious like I was victorious. It's not going to be a different way. Sometimes I know we, we think like, okay, Jesus came the first time, yeah, as the suffering servant and, and took our sins. But, you know, when he comes back, he's coming back like a lion. He's going to show him who's boss and he's going to, you know. Well, he, he is going to make all things right. But even, even then, he does it as a lamb, looking as if it had been slain. And as we continue through the book of Revelation, we never see Jesus kind of bring the hammer down, you know. Um, we see Jesus showing up, riding a horse with his, his robes already bloody before the battle begins. You know, it's like his own blood. It's a reminder that he gave his life for us. And those who are in his army that we see later, it's like, yep, they, are, they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, it says. And they have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The, the calling for us as God's people is to be a people of the lamb, to lift up the lamb as the, the model for our lives and for the way that we live and the way, that, the way that God would have us live. And this lamb, looking as if it had been slain, is at the center of the throne. And we see all through that second chapter, through, through chapter 5, that the lamb, he does, he takes the scroll and all of creation bows down and worships the lamb. This is John making real clear, in case there was any doubt, 
You know, we talked about this last week as he combines imagery from, from Daniel for the, 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 the Ancient of Days, the Holy One, the Holy God, and the Son of Man. He combines those images into one for Jesus. That here we have the Lamb on the throne with the Almighty God. And people are worshiping him. Now, what, what do we have? We've got uh, the four living creatures and the 24 elders that fall down before the Lamb with their harps and their golden bowls of, filled with our prayers, singing a new song. You're worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. So now God has already been worshipped just for being holy, for being the creator, for being eternal, for being God. And the lamb now is being worshipped because he was slain. Because with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. Or one person say we've been taken from rubbish to rulers. You know, we, we've been, we've been uh, it's the Apostle Paul that says in one point that like, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. He's, he's writing to these people who are like, yeah, you were just out there somewhere, but now you've been gathered together. You're God's people because Jesus has purchased you with his blood. All the angels are singing, you are worthy to receive, I think they named seven things, power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, praise. Yeah, seven different things. And then every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, in the sea, every, every creature that there is worships him. Together with, to, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And worship. Jesus is worshiped right along the Almighty God. He's like, he doesn't want us to miss that Jesus is God in the flesh. That Jesus is not just a prophet, not just a, uh, a baby in a manger. Um, not even just a, a great moral example or an excellent teacher. That he is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh giving himself for us. I just had a conversation this last week with somebody who was asking, uh, is God a narcissist? And I'd heard that before from other people. Um, and this, this person kind of waffles back and forth on whether they believe in God or not. And the people they interact with are all kind of all over the map. And, and, uh, and I never know for sure when they say these things. Like lots of my friends have been asking. It's like, is that just a way for you to say this is what you're wondering, you're asking? Or is, are you really bumping into lots of people asking this? But this idea is, is God a narcissist? You know, is always, always needing all the attention, all the worship, you know. Lift me up, glorify me. Uh, it's all about me, me, me. Um, I said, well, no, no, I can't see God as a narcissist because Jesus reveals to us who God is. And Jesus, his whole life has lived, like, giving himself away for others. You know, and here we have that. The, the lamb at the center of the universe. This is a, this is a, a centering vision for uh, all the book of Revelation and for all of our lives, really. Um, I was thinking this last week about how what, what we celebrate, you know, what, we, what we lift up, what we elevate, that's, that's what we, we emulate, that's what we imitate, that's what we kind of pattern our lives after. And, and when we elevate or celebrate people who, you know, are sports heroes or the wealthy or the powerful or some political figure, you know, it's like that sets the tone for the people around us, for our kids, for, for us as a society to say, yep, that's what success looks like. That's what uh, a real man is like or a real woman is like. It's, it's like that person right there. And for us as Christians, what is celebrated is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, who when we look at him, we see as a lamb giving his life for you and for me to purchase people from every tribe and language and people and nation, making us useful to rule alongside him and, and as priests to serve our God. So this, this is the vision that for people who are 
you know, in these tiny little churches in the outskirts of the Roman Empire and wondering, you know, who's really in charge. Like this, this imagery, there's imagery drawn from Ezekiel and Daniel, all these Old Testament prophets, but there's also uh, imagery from kind of the Roman era. And, and when you think of a throne room, they, they thought of Caesar sitting on his throne there in Rome. And they're being unmistakable. The vision is like, oh yeah, Caesar might be like in charge of this little kingdom down here somewhere, but the throne at the center of the universe is, is God and, and the Lamb. The one who is lifted up above all others is the Lamb of God slain for you and for me. If we want to be worthy, if we want to endure, if we want to overcome and, and be victorious, then we will follow the Lamb. We won't look for some other ruler to, to wave a big sword or you know, carry a big stick or, or whatever. We will, we will follow the Lamb. We will allow him to set the course for us. We will keep this vision at the kind of center of our imaginations. It says, no, the one who really is in charge, true victory looks like this. It's, it's upside down. It's confusing. I know. <laughs> because in, in our day-to-day life, it doesn't seem to work that way. In our day-to-day life, it seems like whoever can accumulate the most, you know, they're, they're the ones that are celebrated. Or whoever can, can assert their will, their power, the, the most strongly. They're the ones who get to be in charge. and That's not the picture that Revelation gives us of how the, the real world works. We've got to look behind the curtain to see that that's really what's happening. And yes, one day, you know, there's, this, there's this beautiful future that the Lamb is leading us toward. And we'll get into that in these next couple of weeks, especially when we hit Christmas Eve. Um, we'll, we'll get into this. Um, it is beautiful. But those who get to enjoy that beauty, those who, are, those who are invited to be a part of it are those who follow the Lamb, who celebrate a life lived, a life of love, a life that is given, and who pattern our own lives after that. It's a, it's a challenge, but it's one we're invited into. Um, and I'm looking forward to exploring that with you these next couple of weeks. Right now, let's go ahead and bow our heads and, and pray before we celebrate communion together. Thank you, God. Thank you for the love you've shown us in your son, Jesus Christ, that you would come and win the victory over sin and death in such an unusual way by experiencing it yourself. And then, like, overturning it, overthrowing it from the, from the inside out. Uh, it wasn't what we were expecting, Jesus. You surprised us. Just like you surprised us when you showed up that, that first Christmas, <laughs> coming humbly, uh, laid in a manger, the only fanfare being given to people working the night shift, out on the outskirts. This seems to be the way you operate, Jesus, which tells us something about you, our Heavenly Father. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for meeting us here in the midst of our need, in the midst of our, sometimes our fear, our, our sense of inadequacy, our sense of smallness. When it seems like the world is, is weighing us down. Or that there are so much more powerful forces at work that we have no part in, no ability to influence. God, you remind us who's really on the throne.
Can you remind us what victory really looks like? So help us in our day-to-day lives to continue to trust and follow the Lamb. God, I pray that you would help our lives to be, I don't know, lamb-like in the, in the ways that we live. Help us to hold these images together in our, in our minds and in our hearts so that we don't succumb to the, you know, the seductive uh, pictures of power that we're given that surround us. Thank you, God. We... Um, we're grateful for this sacrament of Holy Communion that we get to celebrate together each and every week that reminds us in a tangible, touchable way that this is what victory looks like. We offer to you these gifts of bread and juice, and we pray that by your Spirit's presence here, we might meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and in his blood. We are so grateful to you, God. You held nothing back, but gave all of yourself to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, you held nothing back, but out of love for us, you gave yourself to us. Even taking our sin, taking our death, so that you could overcome and win the victory that now today we are invited to participate in. So we offer you ourselves, God. And we pray that by your Spirit's work in our lives, that we might be changed from the inside out. That we might live in this world as the body of Christ as your hands and feet, as your sons and your daughters. We admit our need of your grace and mercy, acknowledging the ways that we have not loved you with all of who we are, not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We acknowledge, God, that so many times our imagination has been shaped more by the, uh, the powerful in this world and, and uh, all the things that we see around us. Help our imaginations instead. Help us to be enthralled with uh, the love you've shown us in your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to keep you at the center. And your love, the, the motivation for our, our lives and the ways that we live them here in this world. You are so good to us, God. Thank you for pulling back the curtain and letting us see who's really in charge, helping us to see what victory really looks like. We are grateful. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me the prayer Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Uh, Matt's going to come and lead us in one last song as we celebrate communion together. Uh, I'll be here with a basket of bread and a cup of juice. And as, as we sing, you're invited to come forward, take bread from the basket, dip it in the juice and eat it, and return to your seat. It's open to all of us who are saying yes to Jesus today, who are hungry for his grace, who are grateful for his love. And uh, you got the, the option of the like regular pita bread or the, the round gluten-free wafers, or we've got the little individual cups, or we have those at the tables if that's what you need. Uh, so let's, let's celebrate. Let's give thanks um, <laughs> to the Lamb who is seated on the throne.
Thank you again, God, for the love you've shown us in your son, Jesus Christ. Fill us with the spirit of Christ today so that we might leave this place um, ready, ready to keep you at the center of our hearts, ready to keep you at the, at the topmost of our allegiances, ready to serve you, to be useful to you as a kingdom of priests, to serve you, to, to bring people's needs to you and to bring you to others. You are so good, God. And we are so grateful. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.